Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey, everybody. Today is October 26th, 2015, and this is The Mixed Experience, a weekly podcast by a mixed chick sharing mixed thoughts about a mixed-up world. I'm your host and resident mixed chick, Heidi DeRoe. And today we have, yes, another great guest to talk about The Mixed Experience. I'm really excited about this because she's a debut novelist, and there's something really special about that because what I'm hoping, the work I do, the work other writers are doing is to make sure there are more of us. You know, it's not just our one story, but it's also the next person's and the next and the next and the next. So this is uh, pretty exciting for me as well. Before we talk to uh, Joy, I wanted to just make a couple of announcements. One um, is I apologize that we went off the air there for a couple of weeks. It wasn't my intention. I had some difficulty scheduling guests I was able to do some recordings of shows, but I haven't been able to edit them, to post them. I have a really great interview with three filmmakers who are HAPA, half Japanese and half uh, American, who've done this really wonderful documentary that is now available for sale. And I'm going to try to post that as soon as possible because you need to watch this documentary they've done. Their mothers were Japanese war brides who came to the United States and the story of the way in which they got to America and the ways in which they assimilated or didn't is so fascinating. But then to see the ways in which the mother-daughter dynamic plays out uh, across culture and language and time, it's really touching and moving. And so I can't wait to share that with you, uh, I hope within the next week. But otherwise, we now have a full schedule all the way till the holidays. Um, next week, I believe, I have on uh, Rhonda Rorda, who writes about transracial adoption, and she has a new book that is actually not released until next week, but is available now called In Their Voices, and it's interviews with black transra- transracial adoptees, and it's really good, and so I can't wait to talk to her next week. But you can always go to the website, www.themixedexperience.com to get the schedule and um, also at talkshoe.com under The Mixed Experience. Finally, one last thing. I sound a little breathless because I am, because this is so exciting. Today, uh, I hope you are on the festival mailing list. Uh, We send out a newsletter every couple of weeks or so because there really is that much information to give out and we want to keep in touch with you But today's newsletter went out this afternoon, and it's really important because submissions are open for the 2016 festival. That means we're looking for panelists, uh, workshop leaders, performers, artists, dancers, writers of every stripe, scholars, community leaders. We're looking for people to speak on panels, lead workshops, perform in the live show, and basically share your story, your mixed experience, 
and uh, we're hoping we're going to have the biggest festival ever. It's two days, June 10th and 11th. But the first date you have to remember is that submissions are due on January 18th, 2016. There's no application fee. It is a lengthy application. I'm not going to lie. We did that on purpose because we want people who are very serious about what they're doing and want to communicate a message and a story that's important that furthers the conversation that we're having here and in other spaces. So go to the website, www.mixremix.org. And while you're there... Think about donating some money. You know, to, there's no application fee, but what if you kicked in $10 to the festival? That would be great, too. Just think about it. That would be awesome. Okay. So, yes, I have a great guest today. And it's uh, all, she's also a listener, which is even better, I think. You know, I always feel like there's something really sad when I suddenly discover a brand new project like I did today, and I'm thinking, how did they not find me before, and how did I not find them? Uh, But Joy found the podcast, and I have now found Joy, which is very exciting. She's a, a baby novelist. She was raised in East Brunswick, New Jersey, by a Taiwanese mother and a Caucasian father, and at the age of six, she wrote, illustrated, and promptly recycled her first short story. Oh, man, that could have gone into your archives, Joy. Well, since then, she's dreamed of becoming a novelist, and she holds a BA in English from Rutgers University and an MA in creative writing from Newcastle University. Harkin Media will publish her debut novel, Wasian, on November 2nd, 2015, although it is available for pre-order now. I'm so pleased to welcome to the show... Joy Wong Stoffers. Hi. Hi, Heidi. Thanks for having me. Yay. Well, you're a longtime listener, and I think your answer is going to be rehearsed, but that's okay, too. <laughs> so the first I'm question so ready for this, yeah. I know. What are you? So I'd say uh, I've got two answers, but first and foremost, I'd say that um, I'm, a, I'm a palimpsest. So I, I'm... Yeah, constantly rewriting over what I am. Um, That's a good answer. And then my second answer is uh, I'm a living history. I love it. Okay, so (laughs) I know that this was not always your answer to this question. Um, Tell me when you first were confronted by the question, what are you, and how you've evolved from this from that first moment of shock, perhaps, to mm-hmm. having like, this very complex, complicated, and nuanced answer? Yeah, I think, uh, um, well, my dad, well, my dad had a, a kind of pseudo-race talk with me when I was in kindergarten. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I kind of knew, yeah, I kind of knew that um, I was going to get this question, uh, but I, I, I yeah, uh, I don't remember how old I was when I got it, but I must have been really young. Um, and of course, the first time you get it, you're you're really surprised, and you don't really know what to make of it. And then you finally, like, after hearing, you know, the escalation of questions and and how they kind of guide you down the path that they want you to follow. Um, and then you realize, okay, then to say you want percentages, you want fractions, that sort of thing. That's what you're supposed to say, anyway. So I started out by kind of following that path and saying, oh, yes, you know, 
my mom is from Taiwan, my dad is, uh, you know, Caucasian, and I'm Irish, German, you know, Taiwanese, slash Chinese, if you want to, you know, how do you want to break it down? But, I mean, like, actually, and I think my, my answer has changed, well, of course, because of the ongoing uh, identity revision process, but also um, I, I took a DNA test, and I realized that, you know, things aren't as clear-cut as that anyway. Um, yes. So, well, I mean, it's so, interesting yeah. that people want the percentages and the numbers mm-hmm. and the fractions. And then yeah. once they're presented with something like someone who may look visibly brown and they say, I'm 52% Caucasian, it mm-hmm. shatters their whole notion yeah. of, of what answer they were looking for. Exactly. Um, okay, so did your dad decide for you or he just said, you know what, you may get this question and... How did how did it make you feel that all of a sudden you had this this extra identity? So I think they had uh, some experience beforehand because they had a, a test run with my brother, who is uh, four and a half years older than me. So um, likely that's why he had the discussion with me when I was in kindergarten because um, I, I assume anyway that my brother had to deal with many of these issues and more. Um, because when he was born, he was one of very, very few Hapas. There weren't many in our community at all. Um, by the time I was in high school, there were four others that I was going to school with, but my brother was You could have gotten one. T-shirts almost. I like know, you. yeah. <laughs> A tiny little posse. Um, but my brother was like one of two. So uh, now, I think that's... Would you say yeah. that you... I mean, obviously, you had that that leader ahead of you because, it, like in my own experience, I have an older brother who's three and a half mm-hmm. years older. Yeah. But I think because we were relocated geographically so often because of military assignments that mm-hmm. my father had, that we never had that notion of someone forging ahead for us and like right. setting the groundwork on identity. Um, but did you resist kind of the whatever he came up with in terms of identifying as Hapa, or did you think, all right, my brother did it this way, this is what I'm going to do? So I think for my brother, he didn't really have to deal with it as much as I did. Um, I think that when when we were younger anyway, um, even even now, um, I lean a little bit more to the West than he does in, like, looks. So... Um, and I don't know, I feel like women tend to get more scrutiny than men regarding this factor. So, um, you know, we would go back to Taiwan every three or five years. And that's, so it was interesting kind of going to Taiwan and getting that kind of mixed feedback and then coming back to the States and getting a a different kind of mixed feedback. Um, and, and so, but always being forever conscious of, of difference. Um, and of being in between always. So um, it, it sounds like you, you struggled with it, but I, I think you're you're much younger than I am. So you've grown up in a different age. Yeah. When we were we were kind of supposed to be post racial, weren't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. Is, yeah. Was it no, something sure. that you were allowed to talk about? I think um, so. In in the household, my my parents always raised me with uh, the term Inoko. Um, because Taiwan was colonized by Japan, um, so my 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 Taiwanese grandmother, my ma, she actually her her first language was Japanese, 
Um, and so, you know, because of the colonization, my mom knew a bit of uh, Japanese as well. And so that's why they had this term, Ainoko, because of World War II. Um, a lot of American GIs were in Japan. And so that's uh, when they were marrying uh, some Japanese women. And the children, you know, they were called love children, uh, the products of these marriages. Um, but in Japanese, that's Ainoko. Although back then it was kind of derogatory. <laughs> So right. more like yeah, more like half breed. Um, but now it's 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 even though I think that the original meaning is still the same, it's it's kind of looked upon uh, with in more favorable terms. I think. Well, so I'm wondering um, when you were able to decide this is something that I get to talk about. Like I'm not quite sure how it all goes down, and I know everyone sees me differently. But it seems like you had a very strong um, sense of yourself very early. And in fact, well, may- maybe not in fact, but I hadn't heard the term Waitian before. Right. Is that that's something that you coined? No, it's not something that I coined. It's actually on Urban Dictionary. But um, before I knew it was on Urban Dictionary, I had a Hapa friend, and uh, she's half Filipino. Um, she She told me about it. And this was in high school, like uh, eighth or ninth grade, and I'd never heard it before. I said, what do you mean? Um, I'd always been using Inoko. Um, You know, some Japanese, I'm sure, might say it's improper for me to use that because I'm not Japanese, but Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have hop at the time. So, um, yeah, but Weijin is is slang for hop as well. Uh, If you want to be technical, you could say Amerasian. In Europe, they had... Eurasian far earlier than we had Amerasian because of right. England and uh, you know Hong Kong. So uh, actually, they're they're much more progressive in terminology um, than we are here in Europe. You mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Because I would say it's actually more difficult, at least for um, the African or African American. Mm-hmm. mixtures in Europe that there isn't really there isn't really great terminology around that stuff like in right. Denmark I think they would say still that I was a mulet which is mulatto which is oh, okay. you know, yeah you know I I would like to reclaim that word in you know sarcastic instances but of course yeah. it's still very loaded <laughs> yeah that's the end for everything is always it has so much history behind it so Right. Reclaiming so, is always a fraught process. Exactly. And so it's hard to, you know, say it intelligently and make sure that people understand that you understand mm-hmm. all of the baggage that it holds. Absolutely. This, this is the question of naming. But this is exactly where the book begins. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, right off the bat, just like the first question of the podcast, what are you? Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about your protagonist and where she is in life when the book begins? Right, so the protagonist, her name is Avaling McGee, and she has actually very little in common with me. I set it out that way because I did not want to deal with the whole, is this autobiographical as much as I knew <laughs> Well, I you know, gonna everyone's going to ask that always. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, and also because, you, you know, your protagonist has a difficult time of it, and people mm-hmm. want to take care of you, so be ready for that question on the book tour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> um, but so so Alvaline McGee, and she actually 
um, can pass very easily for white. And uh, so the beginning of the book starts out with um, an Asian girl, because uh, Alva is moving into university uh, freshman, and a sophomore who is helping her move in asks her, um, you know, where is she from? And then when Alva kind of skirts around that question, she says, no, no, where are you really from? Uh, so the escalation of the interrogation, basically. And you can tell that Alva has received this kind of question before, um, and it's agitating her, and she's just feeling stressed for many reasons that aren't disclosed at that point. But so she just snaps and says, you know what, I'm white. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, look at my face, I'm white. Um, and, and so the girl's face was this visual and um, verbal dichotomy um, because all the Ling McGee, right? Ling should uh, point to some kind of East Asian uh, ancestry, but Ava uh, says it's not true. So, but then, of course, the, the parents come in, and then you have the, the visual cue on that part. So it's Ava's caught in a lie, and she has to deal with that. So you can tell, for sure, her identity is, um, she's, she's going through an identity crisis, basically. Well, what I like so much about the book, uh, one of the things is that it starts in college and, you know, I hear so often that people talk about, you know, it wasn't really a problem until I got to college where suddenly Mm -hmm. I felt like I had to choose sides and you, you know, you write about that so well with this character. Uh, What, what's at stake for her in, in choosing sides or not choosing sides? And then I think, how does yeah. she deal with it? So, so what's compounding the problem is that uh, she's dealing with familial issues as well. So she's trying to redefine herself outside of uh, the family dynamic and also figure out what she wants to be. Um, uh, for sure, you know, the whole usual college track, right? What do I want to do with my life? That sort of thing but also how do other people, her contemporaries, see her and how does she want to be seen or maybe she doesn't want to be seen. So she's grappling with, with um, complexity and, and is trying to strive for um, fulfillment in, in, in a complex way. So, But what but she does ultimately is yeah. she, she explores these self-destructive behaviors Mm-hmm. You know, not entirely self-destructive. I think that's yeah. too strong of a word. But, you know, she starts to toy with not necessarily being her best self or mm, I'm trying to fi- find the right words. Can you help me out here? It's like it's like but, she's trying to become the idea of what a college student is, maybe. <laughs> right, right. And thinking that, like, if she is the stereotypical college student, then all of these other problems won't exist. Um, I, I love everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it makes total sense. So, you know, in my own experience, I remember being in high school and thinking, you know, once I get to college, I am going to be a black college student. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to have to deal with all of this difficulty because, really, the reason people are not getting me in this school is that. It's not, you know, it's not really a, scare, a school geared toward academics. 
and mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of, you know, black nerds at my school. Right. And so right. I thought, oh, if I, if I go to college, there'll be a lot of black nerds. And then I... Get right in, yeah. Yeah, but of course I didn't fit in mm-hmm. because, you know, there were all sorts of other ways that people divided themselves. And I think right. I kind of um, consciously or unconsciously at some point decided the only thing I could choose to be that would make me a thing was to just get the best grade and mm-hmm. go to the best schools. I don't know if you – did you ever go through that process? I think I think actually that happened to me in university as well. I was like, I must get all straight A's all the time. I must get a 4.0. And I was devastated when I got one B-plus up when I was studying abroad in England. And so I, I now have like a 3.971. <laughs> um, I'm over it now. I'm over it. I realize that it doesn't make a difference. But like for a while, I was like, no, I am not perfect anymore. But, but what is um, that? But like, what is? I don't know if I'm saying it in the same way. It, it means something to you. But what did like being like quote unquote perfect offer you that was alleviating any stress you had over how you were supposed to identify or how people identified you? Yeah, I felt like if I just validated myself through academics, then there would be none of these, you know, I would have none of these uh, feelings of doubt. Uh, I wouldn't have as many questions. It would just be, here's my academic record. Like, as if, as if you know, I had a T-shirt with my transcript and I just wear it all the time, right? <laughs> this is me. Yes, exactly. That's the thing. We're not, we, we're not wearing T-shirts or holding signs or have things painted on our forehead. Like, no. this is how you should recognize me. And even if we did, I don't think it would work People, at all. Yeah, it wouldn't matter. No. Um, okay, so the character, Ava, goes through some really difficult things. Why did you choose to uh, create the mother character to be, well, she's pretty difficult. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is understandable. She is a complicated character, but right Mm -hmm. out of the box, it's like, oh, my God, I I feel like the character is being suffocated to death by the pressure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because I I wanted it uh, to explore the, the kind of, I'm interested in psychology, um, so the in, internal pressure, um, for sure, and, and what self-repression can definitely do to um, expedite uh, the combustion, the internal combustion process, basically. Um, yeah. And because I'm, I'm interested in, in talking more about mental health, I think in the Asian American community, for sure, and just the Asian community at large, um, that's kind of avoided. Like, there are no problems. Yeah. There is nothing, everything is perfect, right? Everything is, is about, you know, perfection to some degree. Um, you have to meet the standards. And there, there, you know, there's no allowance for humanity, basically, at that point. So uh, it's no wonder that people have breakdowns and people need to talk about issues, you know, and people need therapy and things like this that are just part of normal communication, normal life, but um, there's no there's no space for that in, in you know, most discussions. So well, I, w- I wanted yeah. to try to find this article I remember reading a mm-hmm. few years ago. It was a study that was done on uh, mixed race kids who were um, half Asian and half mm-hmm. white. Yeah. And they had an incredibly high suicide rate actually right. and mm-hmm. compared to other mixed race other mixes of races 
it was the um, kids who were half Asian who had the most difficulty in that. And so what you're writing about and what you're talking about is extremely important. Yeah, and I think I think it's it's just addressing it and being able to to see like oh I'm not like going crazy like this is a normal and, and natural process and it should be dealt with it should be discussed um, and that's because that's the only way we're going to be able to move forward um, definitely. What do you hope that readers will get out of the book? I hope I hope that readers will be able to see that. Um, Life is complex, and being mixed can mean many different things uh, for the entire mixed community, right? So there is no one story for sure, um, and there is nothing that you can take at face value. So while at the beginning of the book, some people might say, oh, you know, May is a tiger mother, et cetera, and so on, you realize that it's not such an easy answer. You can't just, you know, check off the labels and then be done with it. Um, because something, everything comes from something else. And and so we have to say, okay, well, this is what we are encountering right now, but how can I fully understand this? Um, and I think the ability to ask questions and to be open to learning uh, is integral to, you know, making meaningful connections with each other, you know, beyond the mixed community, just... Being human, right? It, it requires uh, people to interact on an equal level. So I, I'm so glad you said that because you know, obviously, you're on this podcast, but the book it it really relates to so much more than just being mixed. It, it you know, mm-hmm. there is a universalness about the mixed experience in that you know, like we actually embody being betwixt and between. But mm-hmm. people feel like they're in liminal spaces in all sorts of ways, and they can Absolutely. relate. I know they can relate to the protagonist of feeling like, wow, I seem to be one thing. I'm not quite sure what I am yet, but I want to explore it, and yet I can't with all these eyes telling me that, mm-hmm. that yeah. what I feel isn't actually me. Um, and and I so I think it really is a wonderful book for for anyone who has had those moments who of of not belonging. Yeah, because I think we've all felt like interlopers at one point or another. Um, even Donald Trump. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'm not going to go that far. I'm sorry. No, we won't. We won't, we won't go there. But um, you know, it's it's there. There, you're never you're never ever going to feel a hundred percent complete whole. Um, and and I think that's why, you know, it's it's relatable feeling in between, feeling, you know, like you're not making the exact mark that you're supposed to be hitting. Yes, yeah. Now, um on on the writing side, before you mm-hmm. go, I have to ask you, like, what does it feel like? Your debut novel is coming out next week. What was the process? Because you're young still, you didn't wait until yeah. you were forty. Um, tell me, I, I want some excitement. I want to hear the excitement. This is an amazing thing. <laughs> um, so this is, if I, if I were to be completely honest, this is my second attempt at, at a book. Because when I was like in high school, when I, when I was 15, I started writing some 
awful fan fiction of, I don't even remember, I was reading some kind of, like, supernatural mystery thing. And so I thought, like, oh, like, because I'm reading this, then I obviously have to write this. And, um, That's so awesome. So it was terrible. I got, like, 100 pages. And I was like, I made the 100 pages. And then I chucked it. Uh, but I have, I still have, like, a folder on my laptop, and it says, remember the first time you ever tried to, <laughs> um, <laughs> just so I remember. Um, you know, and and I thought that for a while, just because I failed, like, the first time, that meant that I would never write something. I would never complete anything. I would never finish. But um, after three years, I, I had uh, a decent draft of Wajian, and and then you know the whole editorial process with Heart Media, um, that was draft five. <laughs> so the 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 final draft was the fifth time I wrote it. Rewrote. I'm it. not feeling bad for you. I think I rewrote the girl who fell from the sky at least eighteen or twenty times completely. Right, that's so. insane. And I couldn't believe when when you said on the podcast like it took you twelve years. I was like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah, it took that forever. That is perseverance with a capital P. It, it is, and yet, um, you know, it was a different time, and hopefully that book, you know, led to other books having more yes. of, of, of space in the world, and hopefully your book will allow other stories to have a space in the world because it's so, so important. Hey, I'm wondering, I just have, what was your parents' response to the book? Have they read right, it? Right, so, so um, I actually, because I wanted uh to make it, I want sink or swim. I wanted it to be me. So when I was failing and when I was struggling, when I was sending out a uh, hundred one uh, queer letters to agents and getting rejected, um, I, I I wanted it to be all on my shoulders. And then finally, when we when we got through the the latter parts of the editorial process with Hard Media, then I said, okay, Dad, you can read this. Just check over my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was really smart. That's excellent. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and you know that they're very, very supportive, and um, so, so they're excited for me. Um, meanwhile, I'm just trying not to be too excited because I'm always afraid of being disappointed, which is like you know, kind of Asian, I think. <laughs> um, you know, just, just be, be, you know, the little rain cloud. And nothing will hurt you. <laughs> well, well, no. I mean, people are going to read this book because they're going to enjoy it, and I'm going to tell them. Are, are you going to be doing a tour? Is there anywhere people can find you on the road? Oh, um, so I, I'm still figuring out the move to Seattle. I'm actually in in your uh, home state right now. Um, so I'm I'm in the Portland area right now because uh, oh, I, I went. Right, yay! Yes, it's it's great. I went uh, down to L.A. Um, to do a couple of Asian-American podcasts, um, and those had to be in person. So it was like, oh, okay, just go there. And then, so I made the trip back up here, and then now I have to, you know, do the whole make sure you have a job with benefits <laughs> so you can write on the side <laughs> thing. Um, find a place so you're not crashing at your brother's because I'm sure he'll hate me very soon. <laughs> so, yeah, that whole process. Um as far as I know, I'm I'm far too early on in to to uh, be considering a book tour, um, but it'd be it'd be nice uh, if you know the book was in Powell's. Um, I think it will be, so that, that would be, be very nice. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Um, if, if people want to find you, where should yeah. they find you? I know you're on Twitter at mm-hmm. Soy Huang Stoff S T O S F. 
Um, and then your website. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, com. Uh, I have a Facebook page. Um, I've got a Tumblr. But if you go to the website, basically, it will redirect you to all these other uh, social media shenanigans. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm I'm so proud of you. I know I'm not allowed to be oh, proud because I wasn't no, even no, a no. part of it, but I so enjoyed getting a chance oh, no, to read it in advance. Full disclosure, you, you uh, wrote the blurb, which was I did blurb. <laughs> <laughs> I did blurb it because I loved it, and I'm excited to see more stories oh. like this come out in the world. So um, let me know if you're going to be on the road somewhere so we can tell all the listeners out there oh, that, yeah, that absolutely. they can come meet you. And they can get it online um, at Amazon. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure what, what they're doing with uh, book distribution. I think they're doing like more printing on demand because they're indie. So, you know, they, they're not going to mm-hmm. do a whole, we're going to print 500 and maybe uh, shred the rest. Um, that don't get sold. So I think this is a wise decision on their part for sure. Um, yes. Much nicer to trees too, I'm sure. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it'll definitely well, be at the festival. So, um, you know, people very can meet exciting. me there. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. So excited. <laughs> I'm excited to meet you in person. Um, Joy, thanks yes. so much for joining us. Congratulations on Asian and Hey folks, go buy it. You gotta support artists. Go buy the book. Please. It's good. It's, you're gonna enjoy it too. Um, thank you, Joy, so much. I will talk to you actually very soon. Yes, yes. <laughs> thank you so much, Heidi. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, she's great. We have been corresponding kind of on and off for a few months now, and when I was finally able to read the novel, I was so excited for her. It's a book, actually, that just hasn't been written before, guys. It just hasn't. Um, there are people out there writing YA that are really good, like Sarah Jamila Stevenson's The Latte Rebellion and Matt De La Pena. Uh, but I don't really think there's been a book about that experience of being in college and searching even though there are so many people who talk about what happens in those moments for them. And she's just done a very nice job and a very beautiful job, actually, of um, writing about it. There's a piece of it that I didn't share with you. She actually, uh, Joy is a a writer with multitudes. I mean, she's not just mixed, but she also is a, a writer with multitudes. And she has two very different styles in the book, which I like. But I didn't want to talk more about it during the interview because it kind of spoils the story, I think. So I'm just going to allude to it that way and uh, let you go off on your own and buy the book, Weijin, Joy Huang Stoffers. Um, Yeah. All right, guys. We're back next week live, Monday at 5 o'clock. I hope you'll join me. I have this really great guest I told you about who has done this book of interviews of black transracial adoptees. I'm really moved by the stories, and I think you will be too. And um, I hope I'll talk to you then. In the meantime, send me your emails, Heidi at HeidiWDuro.com or Twitter at HeidiDuroe. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, if you have a chance and you're on iTunes, I'd love for you to do a review so more people can find us. Thanks again for joining me. That's it for this week. Bye-bye. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.